Chapter Two of The Clue by Carolyn Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two Miss Morton Arrives. The day before the wedding, the old house was a pleasant scene of bustle and confusion. Professional decorators were in charge of the great drawing room, building a canopy of green vines and flowers beneath which the bridal pair should stand the next day at high noon. This work was greatly hindered by a bevy of young people who thought they were helping. At last, noting a look of dumb exasperation on the face of one of the florist's men, Molly Gardner exclaimed, "'I don't believe our help is needed here. Come on, Kitty. Let's go in the library and wait for tea-time.' It was nearly five o'clock, and the girls found most of the house guests already assembled in the library, awaiting the arrival of the tea-tray. Several other young people were there also, most of them being those who were to be of the wedding cortege next day. Robert Fessenden, who was to be best man, had just come from New York and had dropped in to see Miss Van Norman. Although he was an old friend of Carleton's, Madeline did not know him very well, and though she made him welcome, it was with that coldly formal air that did not greatly attract the young man, but he could not fail to be impressed by her great beauty. "'Lucky fellow, Carleton,' he said to Tom Willard. "'Why, that woman would create a sensation in any great city in the world.' "'Yes, she is too handsome to live all her life in a small village,' agreed Tom. "'I think they intend to travel a great deal. An heiress, too, I believe. Yes, she has all the desirable traits a woman can possess.' "'All?' Fessenden's tone was quizzical. "'What do you mean?' asked Tom sharply. "'Nothing. Only, if I were to marry—' I should prefer a little more softness of nature. Oh, that's only her manner. My cousin is most sweet and womanly, I assure you. I'm sure she is, returned Fessenden, who was a bit ashamed of his outspokenness. And she's getting a sterling good fellow for a husband. She is so, said Tom heartily which was kind of him, considering his own opinion of Carleton. And then both men strolled over to where Madeline sat at the tea-table. She was reading a telegram that had just been brought to her, and she laughingly explained to Tom that it meant a bother for him. "'Miss Morton has concluded to come to the wedding after all,' she said. "'She wrote me that she wouldn't come,' but she has changed her mind, it seems. Now, it does sound ridiculous, I know, but in this big house there isn't a room left for her but the one you have, Tom. You see, one bedroom is used for a present room, one is reserved for Schuyler tomorrow, the bridesmaids have another, and except for our own rooms, and those already occupied by guests, there are no more. I hate to ask you, Tom, but could you go to the inn? Sure, Maddy dear, anything to oblige. 
but it does seem too bad to turn me out of your house the very last day that your hospitality is all your own to offer. Tomorrow the grand seigneur will be master here, and my timid little Madeline can no longer call her soul her own. This reference to the tall and stately mistress of the house raised a general laugh, but Madeline did not join in it. "'I'm so sorry, Tom,' she said earnestly, as she looked again at the telegram she was holding. "'But Miss Morton was an old friend of Uncle Richard's, and as she wants to come here, I can't turn her away. And unless you give her your room, there is no other.' "'Nonsense, Madeline. I'm only joking. Of course I'll go to the hotel. Only too glad to accommodate, Miss Morton. Forget it, girl. I assure you I don't mind a bit. I'll pack up a few traps after dinner and skip down to the picturesque, if rather ostentatious, Mapleton Inn.' As Tom spoke he put his arm carelessly round Madeline's shoulders and though scarcely more than a cousinly caress, it was unfortunate that Schuyler Carleton should enter the room at that moment. A lightning glance flashed between the two men, and as Tom moved away from Madeline, with a slightly embarrassed shrug of his shoulders, Carleton's face grew so stern that an uncomfortable silence fell upon the guests. However, the arrival of the tea-tray saved the situation, and Madeline at once busied herself in the pretty occupation of serving tea to her guests. With an air of jealous proprietorship, Carleton moved toward her and, looking handsome, though sulky, stood by Willard with folded arms, as if on guard. Urged on by a daredevil spirit of mischief, and perhaps remembering that Madeline would soon be beyond his reach as Carleton's wife, Tom also moved toward her from the other side. Endeavoring to treat the situation lightly, Madeline held up a newly filled teacup. "'Who will have this?' she asked gaily. "'I will,' declared Carlton and Tom at the same time, and each held out a hand. Madeline looked at them both, smilingly. Carlton's face was white and set. He was evidently making a serious matter of the trifling episode. Tom, on the contrary, was smiling broadly, and was quite evidently enjoying his rival's discomfiture. "'I shall give it to you, because you look so pleasant,' declared Madeline, handing the cup to Tom. "'Now, Schuyler, smile prettily, and you may have one, too.' But Carlton would not fall in with her light mood. Bending a little, he said in a tense voice, "'I will leave you to your cousin now. Tomorrow I shall assert my claim.' Though not rude in themselves, the words were accompanied by a harsh and disdainful glance that made several of the onlookers wondered what sort of a life the haughty Madeline would lead with such a coldly tyrannical husband. "'The brute!' said Tom, under his breath, as Carlton left the room. "'Never mind, Maddy. The old Turk has left you to me for this evening, and we'll take him at his word.' Suddenly Madeline's mood changed to one of utter gaiety. 
she smiled impartially on all she jested with the girls she bewitched the young men with her merry banter and she almost seemed to be flirting with tom willard but he was her cousin after all and much is forgiven a bride-to-be on her wedding eve robert fessenden looked at miss van norman with a puzzled air he couldn't seem to understand her and was glad when by chance the two were left comparatively alone for a few moments conversation a great responsibility devolves on the best man miss van norman he said in response to a chaffing remark of hers i suppose that to-morrow i shall be general director-in-chief and if anything should go wrong i shall be blamed but nothing will go wrong said madeline gaily and then think how you'll be praised ah but you won't be here to hear the praise heaped upon me so what's the use no i shall be gone forever said madeline putting on one of her far-away looks i never want to come back to mapleton i hate it why miss van norman you want to desert this beautiful old house schuyler can never find you a home so comfortable and attractive in every way i don't care i want to go far away from mapleton to live we're going to travel for a year anyway but when we do settle down it will be abroad i hope you surprise me schuyler didn't tell me this we've been chums so long that i usually know of his plans but of course getting married changes all that you're a very intimate friend of mr carleton's aren't you said madeline with a strange note of wistfulness in her voice yes i am why oh nothing i only thought i mean do you think rob fessenden was thrilled by the plaintive expression on the beautiful face and suddenly felt a great desire to help this girl who was seemingly so far above and beyond all need of help and yet was surely about to ask his aid or at least his sympathy don't hesitate he said gently what is it miss van norman i want to be as firm a friend of yours as i am of schuyler's so please say what you wish to i can't i can't madeline whispered and her voice was almost a moan please again urged fessenden do you know dorothy burt madeline then broke out as if the words were fairly forced from her no said fessenden amazed i never heard the name before who is she hush she's nobody less than nobody don't mention her to me ever again nor to anyone else ah here comes miss morton as fessenden watched madeline she changed swiftly from a perturbed troubled girl to a courteous polished hostess my dear miss morton she said advancing to meet her newest guest how kind of you to come to me at this time i didn't come exactly out of kindness said miss morton 
but because I desired to come. I hope you are quite well. Will you give me some tea? Miss Morton was a tall, angular lady, with gray hair and sharp black eyes. She seemed to bite off her words at the ends of her short sentences, and had a brisk, alert manner that was, in a way, aggressive. "'An eccentric,' Rob Fessenden thought, as he looked at her and wondered why she was there at all. "'An old sweetheart of Mr. Richard Van Norman, I believe,' said Kitty French when he questioned her. They were once engaged, and then quarreled and broke it off, and neither of them lived happily ever after. "'As the Carltons will,' said Fessenden, smiling. "'Yes,' said Kitty slowly. "'As the Carltons will, I hope. You know Mr. Carlton awfully well, don't you? Are you sure he will make our Maddy happy, Mr. Fessenden?' "'I think so,' and Fessenden tried to speak casually. "'He is not an emotional man, or one greatly given to sentiment, but I judge she is not that sort either.' "'Oh, yes, she is. Maddy is apparently cold and cynical, but she isn't really so a bit. But she perfectly adores him, and if they're not happy it won't be her fault.' "'Nor will it be his,' said Fessenden, warmly defending his absent friend. "'Carlton's an old trump. There's no finer man in the world, and any woman ought to be happy with him.' "'I'm glad to hear you say that,' said Kitty, with a little sigh of relief. "'Do look at that funny Miss Morton. She seems to be scolding Madeline. I'm sorry she came.' She doesn't seem very attractive, but perhaps it's because she was crossed in love and it made her queer. "'Or she was queered in love and it made her cross,' laughed Fessenden. "'Well, I must go now and look up Carlton. Poor old boy, he was a little miffed when he went away.' After tea, all the callers departed and those who were house-guests went to their rooms to dress for dinner. Tom Willard, with great show of burlesque regret and tearful farewells, went to the hotel that Miss Morton might have the room he had been occupying. He promised to return for dinner, and gaily blew kisses to Madeline, as with his traps he was driven down the avenue. At dinner, Schuyler Carlton's place was vacant. It had been arranged next to Madeline's, and when fifteen minutes after the dinner hour he had not arrived, she haughtily accepted Tom Willard's arm and led the way to the dining room. But having reached the table, she directed Tom to take his rightful seat at some distance from her own, and Carlton's chair remained empty at Madeline's side. At first this was uncomfortably evident, but Madeline was in gay spirits, and soon the whole party followed her lead, and the conversation was general and in a merry key. The young hostess had never looked more regally beautiful. Her dark hair, piled high on her head, was adorned with a dainty ornament which, 
though only a twisted ribbon, was shaped like a crown, and gave her the effect of an imperious queen. Her low-cut gown of pale yellow satin was severe of line, and accented her stately bearing, while her exquisitely mottled neck and shoulders were as white and pure as those of a marble statue. Save for a double row of pearls around her throat, she wore no ornaments. But on the morrow, Carlton's gift of magnificent diamonds would grace her bridal costume. The combination of haughty imperial beauty and a dazzling witchery of mood was irresistible, and the men and girls alike realized that never before had Madeline seemed so wonderful. After the dessert was placed on the table, Willard could stand it no longer, and leaving his own place, he calmly appropriated Carlton's vacant chair. Madeline did not reprove him, and Kitty French took occasion to whisper to her neighbor, "'Twere better by far to have matched our fair cousin to brave Lochinvar." Mrs. Markham overheard the quotation, and a look of pain came into her eyes. But it was all too late now, and tomorrow Madeline would be irrevocably Schuyler Carlton's wife. After dinner, coffee was served in the cozy library. Madeline preferred this room to the more elaborately furnished drawing-room, and tonight her word was law. But suddenly her mood changed. For no apparent reason, her gay spirits vanished. Her smile faded away, and a pathetic droop curved the corners of her beautiful mouth. At about ten o'clock, she said abruptly, though gently, "'I wish you'd all go to bed. Unless you girls get some beauty sleep, you won't look pretty at my wedding tomorrow.' "'I'm quite ready to go,' declared Kitty French with some tact, for she saw that Madeline was nervous and strung up to a high tension. "'I, too,' exclaimed Molly Gardner and the two girls said good-night and went upstairs. Two or three young men who had been dinner guests also made their adieu, and Tom Willard said, "'Well, I may as well toddle to my comforts of home, as understood by a country innkeeper.' Madeline said good-night to him kindly enough, but without jest or gaiety. Tom looked at her curiously for a moment, and then, gently kissing her hand, he went away. Mrs. Markham, having seen Miss Morton comfortably installed in what had been Tom's room, returned to the library to offer her services to Madeline. But the girl only thanked her, saying, "'There is nothing you can do tonight. I want to be alone for an hour or two. I will stay here in the library for a time.' and I'd like to have you send Cicely to me. A few moments later, Cicely Dupuy came in, bringing some letters and papers. She was Miss Van Norman's private secretary, and admirably did she fill the post. Quick-witted, clever, deft of hand and brain, she answered notes, kept accounts, 
and in many ways made herself invaluable to her employer. Moreover, Madeline liked her. Cicely was of a charming personality. Small, fair, with big childish blue eyes and a rose-leaf skin, she was a pretty picture to look at. "'Sit down,' said Madeline, "'and make a little list of some final matters I want you to attend to tomorrow.' Cicely sat down, and taking pencil and tablet from the library table, made the lists as Madeline directed. This occupied but a short time, and then Miss Van Norman said wearily, "'You may go now, Cicely. Go to bed at once, dear. You will have much to do tomorrow. And please tell Marie I shall not need her services tonight. She may go to her room. I shall sit here for an hour or more, and I will answer these notes. I wish to be alone.' "'Very well, Miss Van Norman,' said Cicely, and taking the list she had made, she went softly from the room. End of chapter 2